Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. I've been fortunate to interview and know lots of sporting legends, but I'm not sure any of them tops today's guests in terms of impact in the community. Who is the hometown hero that I'm speaking of? Stick around to find out. Team Snap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. Start your 2024 sports season off right. The Team Snap for Teams app provides the tools you need to manage your team with ease. This includes the all new fundraising feature, which makes raising money for new equipment or your next tournament simple, built right into the TeamSnap app. Or maybe you run a full league. From registration to scheduling to helping you build your club's website, TeamSnap for Business has the tools to take your programs to the next level. Learn more about all of TeamSnap solutions at TeamSnap.com. Tony Sane's soccer career is full of accolades and honors, from high school to college and into the pros. He's played on the grandest soccer stages, from the Champions League to the World Cup. Pretty amazing, right? But what I find even more remarkable is the impact Tony Sane's had since he retired from soccer, establishing the Sane Foundation and over two decades leading its rise into one of Minnesota's most impactful and important nonprofits. In part one, we're going to focus on Tony's childhood experiences growing up in St. Paul, full of highs, some lows, and a memorable trip. What am I talking about? Let's get to it. Well, I'm privileged to have with me as a guest today, Tony Sane. Tony, thank you so much for joining me. Really looking forward to having this conversation. It's long overdue. Oh, excited to be here and thank you for having me. Tony, you grew up in St. Paul. Tell me a little bit about what your childhood was like growing up here. Uh, well, I grew up on the east side of St. Paul. Um, I went to Phelan Elementary, and I remember being the only you know person of color in my class. Um, but I liked school. And then later on, we moved to the east side where I went to Parkway. And then eventually uh, Sacred Heart, uh, you know, a Catholic school. You know, my parents got divorced when I was 12. Um, so I had a lot of mentors and, and sports really helped people look after me and it gave me a, another network. And so I think, you know, in speaking to my mom, she's always surprised about how resilient we were as kids because we didn't have a lot. But she said we were happy kids and give me a ball and me and my brother would go in the backyard for hours. And so, you know, as a child, it was getting involved in sports, hanging out at the community center, and then I guess just being loved at home. What was your favorite childhood sports related memory? You know, my favorite, you know, sports experience, you know, in high school, my junior year, I grew a lot. And uh, I think I scored two goals in like this preseason tournament against Stillwater. I remember chipping the keeper. But I just remember it was like an out-of-body experience. And I, I knew at that point, I'm like, the game is starting to really slow down for me. And, I, and I'm starting to see it differently. And I just felt different. And so... You know, I just remember that as one of the, the points in my life where I said to myself, like, I am different. And then I also remember, you know, as, as 12-year-olds playing the first ever USA Cup and losing in the final to the host team. 
but understanding like we were playing against national and international teams and we still got to the final and we lost in penalty kicks. And we knew that there was more out there to push us, but we knew we belonged in the conversation. Did you make your PK? I did not make my PK. Wow. What was that experience like? I mean, I think we only made one out of five. So it wasn't like I wasn't the deciding factor. It was tough because, you know, we're hosting the team that beat us in the final and we had different ideology. Um, They were a very affluent team and a lot of gear and things like that. And so it was a tough loss, but it really had us come together. And I think that year we ended up, I want to say we ended up taking second in the state tournament as well. But that same very team, um, when we were 19, we were national champions, you know, in the country. So we stayed together and, and grew. And a lot of close friendships, right? I mean, you played with some all-star teammates throughout your uh, youth, didn't you? Yeah, we had a we had a good core, you know, at our high school and at the Blackhawks. So, you know, we had Olympians and, you know, other national team players and professionals and some two years younger than us, some two years older than us. So there was a constant mentorship and, you know, changing of your roles and I guess not multi-generational, but multi-grade, I guess, support system. Um, so you knew what you could grow into and you knew your responsibility, you know, to bring the people up that were the next group coming. Which coach encouraged and inspired you most when you were younger? You know, I have different coaches and actually my basketball coaches were probably the most inspirational. You know, I had a Mr. Robel who actually sent in a donation last week and he was a teacher at Sacred Heart in the basketball team and uh, just, you know, kind of taught us how to compete, but cared about us, you know, had us work hard. And then there was an area, this another coach, Mike Trost at, at St. Paul Academy that, you know, kind of let me recognize, he goes, you know, you're just as good at basketball as you are at soccer. And, you know, started picking me up in the summer and taking me to different games and putting me in front of different people, you know, kind of to get me ready for the for the next stage. Um, and he was a state champion with, a, a, I think, 84 Woodbury team. So those guys really inspired me because they showed like a different level of, of belief. Obviously, Mr. Lagos was really big in my life. He was more of a sort of a second dad. Um, we were kind of families and then I really looked at it as a coach. Tell me about how significant he was, though, you know, to have that, because after your parents, you know, right. got divorced, I mean, it, it, that can be a very challenging time for a young man, right? Yeah. How well, important was he? He was very important, but not only him, but his wife as well. So, you know, there were times when, you know, Manny would spend a week at my house or I would spend two weeks at his house. So, you know, I'd like to say that they helped help raise me and push me and put me in different opportunities and you know, my mom was busy working and trying to get ahead. And, you know, they had a lot of other brothers and sisters there as well. So it was good all around mentorship and, and somebody who gave me opportunities to see first time I saw actually competitive soccer and not just kind of the park and rec deal. What's something you wrestled or struggled with in middle or high school? I don't know if I would fully recognize it. I'd probably ask my mom. I think, you know, in high school, we went to an affluent high school and a lot of people had things, right? And so It was more about, you know, being one of the only kids of color without a lot of resources and just like understanding like you had enough, right, where where kids are driving BMWs to school and you're getting a hundred bucks to buy your outfits for the whole year. So that was a a struggle is just being okay with, with being poor, right, and looking at like what I was good at and surrounding myself with like minded people was probably hard for me. And I, you know, we didn't have a lot, so. 
I remember you telling me once about a very important trip that you were sent back to like your father's home area. Tell me about how old were you and, and what was kind of the learning and the takeaway from that experience? Because if I recall, I don't think you wanted to go, right? Right. When I was six, my dad wanted me to to visit his family in West Africa. So, you know, I was going in the first grade, so I did not want to go. And I was supposed to go visit for a month. And back then you could just cash in plane tickets. So it's hard to say this, but in modern terms, I was basically kidnapped. I stayed with aunts and every time they sent a plane ticket, they cashed it in. And in 1977, there were no phones. Like you had to send telegrams and go to call centers. So, you know, my mom didn't know what to do because she had my other brother here. And like, I'm not going to leave my kids and be traveling internationally and not be around either one of my kids. And information was tough. So, you know, I think it taught me resilience. You know, I think another community accepted me and helped me grow. And, you know, I learned to play soccer. I think I, I did learn the value of, of community. I also think I understood like also who I am too, like where I come from and what's the spirit of my own personal ethos. And I think that's helped define who I am today. You know, as a seven-year-old or six-year-old, you know, when you fly 27 hours by yourself unaccompanied and end up in a land with strange people, I'm sure it was shocking. You know, you grow up quickly in, in the Gambia, you know, crying is really not something that kids are allowed to do. So you become really resilient and you learn to appreciate what you have in front of you and you learn to enjoy life. But you also, you learn to play, but you, you grow up really, really fast and there's a purpose and you're supposed to be a man. And so that comes with a different set of responsibilities. Was it that important for your soccer development, the time that you spent there? And, and what's the difference between soccer culture, where you were in West Africa versus back home? I mean, I do think it was important because one of the things growing up in America, it, technically you do everything and I was a good athlete. But I think, you know, I just became a good teammate and developed some technical skills at an earlier age that pushed me into keep playing at an earlier age. So I do think it, it helped my development, it helped my skill set, and it also helped me look at the game differently. You know, as I look at the U.S. game, I just think that as a country, you know, they had somebody recently where like American players are dumb and nobody really understands that. I think there's a naivety in this country about what is actually good, right? And, you know, what players can blossom and, you know, like would a player like Conte ever be considered world class here, much less not than average. So, you know, soccer by nature is a funny sport because most of the teams in the world it's not about winning, but about not losing, right? Like think about in every country, like it's more about staying in the top league than winning the championships. Like there are teams that they don't start the year trying to win the championship and they're realistic and they know they can't, but their job is not to lose too much, right? So what that goes is like, we're okay not trying to build messies, right? We're trying to build good pros. And we're so busy on trying to be Messi or Michael Jordan and building like these superstars that it's totally different kind of pressure, but it totally changes the mindset about the individual instead of the team and really playing at an early age to, to make the team successful and understanding spacing and how to support each other and how to become available. And sometimes you lose the ball because nobody's open. You can see games where there's guys that work extra hard to be open, but they're not. Nobody really here looks at that as a skill. 
set right but like your availability and willingness to get the ball in difficult situations is a real asset that helps you you know win games it's a great great insight Tony, what led you to the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee? I'm sure you had lots of different options. I'm sure there were some local colleges interested, but why did you head to Milwaukee? Well, back in 1990, we had no Division I schools in Minnesota, um, and Minnesota wasn't a place where people really came to look. And I would say even, you know, our soccer coaches here, even Mr. Lagos was, you know, very conservative about what he thought we could do. You know, so I looked at basically the surrounding Division One schools, which really meant Wisconsin or Iowa. So easy choice, right? And so, you know, I looked at Madison, UW, Wisconsin, and Marquette, Green Bay, and Milwaukee. And, you know, I decided to go to Wisconsin and be a Badger. And my best friend was going to go to Virginia and University of uh, Virginia. And then I think in the spring we were playing and we just realized that it was going to be like the last time we were going to play together. And we kind of looked at each other and we said, well, we have one school on our list. Like, let's check it out a little bit more. And so we kind of decided to go there together. We actually didn't register for classes until like the soccer coach met us in July to do that. So we went to Wisconsin, Milwaukee. It was still close enough. My mom could drive there. And, uh, you know, I think college was a good experience for me. The team was good enough where nothing was given. I probably had to work a little harder than I wanted to to play for what I what I brought to the table. But again, it, it, it did teach me like resilience and success and and I was able to eventually finish. So it was a good experience to get outside the Twin Cities and then also have the opportunity to kind of blossom on my own. And, you know, growing up with Manny Lagos, you know, he was a high school player of the year. So you were kind of in the shadows a little bit. You know, he was always Jordan and you were kind of Pippin. So you you got noticed, but you didn't really get noticed. You know, it was kind of backwards. Like I was the forward, but I would say like, you know, I would lead our team in assists and he was the center midfielder number 10 and would lead our team in goals. So, you know, I believe that, you know, that helped me become a really well-rounded player. And then when we got to the next level, I think people saw us in a different light. You know, I was able to sort of write my own chapter and, you know, quickly began to score goals and get noticed on the national scene. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, obviously I've worked with lots of pro athletes and the idea that so many of them were kind of secondary figures to somebody else that they grew up with or a best friend or something. And then the, that dynamic changes and clearly, you know, that change. And I know you have such a good relationship with, you know, Manny and, and everybody in that family. But what do you think was that difference? Like, why do you think he went from kind of, like you said, being the Jordan, you to the Pippin to sort of switching? And then obviously 43 caps with the U.S. men's national team. I'm, you know, that that's a pretty incredible opportunity for you. What do you think sort of happened? Well, you know, he he had some injuries early on as a pro. I think that sort of limited, you know, the trajectory. But I also think that he was probably, he was supposed to be the best person on the team. So we played him at number 10. But realistically, I think I was probably a better midfielder and he was a better forward. But we were played differently because like the best guy had to be a number 10, right? And so, you know, I became a better passer as a forward. And I think for him, I think it became harder because he hadn't played enough with his back to the goal, being a full out attacker. and it was harder to find a role that fit. You know, in today's game, it would have been different. He would have been like more of a, a winger, right? Like a, like a messy running at people. 
and been a forward, but not have to play with your back to the goal. So, you know, I think as we got older, you know, our roles kind of just, just switched. You know, I always tell people like he was probably one of the best people at running at people dribbling that, that you know, that I've ever, that I've ever seen when he was younger. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I grew later than him too, right? Like I grew two and a half inches every year from eighth grade to my senior. And he was probably the same size from, you know, ninth grade on. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any questions or comments, please visit my website, seankjensen.com and go to the contact page. You can even leave me a voice recording. And of course, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap. Whether you're coaching a team or running a full club or league, TeamSnap has the solutions and the technology to keep you organized this year. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen. Yeah.